Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2024. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you feel like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. And not just any experts. Specialised experts. Real people who love this stuff with real, hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. You know that's the sound of another sale on your online Shopify store. But did you know Shopify powers selling in person too? That's right. Shopify is the sound of selling everywhere. Online, in-store, on social media, and beyond. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash BOF, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash BOF to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash BOF. Hi, this is Imran Ahmed, founder and CEO of the Business of Fashion. Welcome to the BOF podcast. It's Friday, December 1st. At every juncture of her extraordinary professional journey, 
Lena Nair has authored a series of firsts. Growing up in her home country of India, she was part of the first cohort of female students at her school. At Unilever, she was the first woman to lead global human resources, responsible for more than 150,000 employees. And in January 2022, she became Chanel's first ever global CEO of Indian origin, also making her the only woman of color leading a major global luxury brand. Now, Lena is using her decades of people-centric experience to lead Chanel into the future. I really believe if you look after people, their growth and development, their dreams and aspirations, they will look after the business. They will help you with ideas and really care about the institution they're part of. This week on the BOF podcast, I'm pleased to share this exclusive conversation with Lena from BOF Voices 2023, her first public talk since taking on the role of global CEO, where she generously shared her vision for Chanel, her philosophies on leadership, and some advice for women who want to be leaders. Here's Lena Nair on the BOF podcast. I must say I'm delighted to be here. Really honored and I'm humbled to hear all the speeches this afternoon. I'm so glad I could make it here today and listen to the speeches. Imran, it's been a gift. Thank you to all of you who spoke. You really inspired me. Thank you. I know a little bit about your story because we've, over the last year or so, had the opportunity to spend a little bit of time together. And I want to start with your personal journey. Mm-hmm. We were at a dinner the other night, and I was seated you know, next to some people who've known you for a very long time. I hope they said good things. They said... I never trust friends to do the right thing. <laughs> they said the most amazing things, but one of the things that they reflected on the most is where you've come from. So I want to start with Kolhapur. Kolhapur is a small-ish city in India. I don't think most people in this room will have heard of it. Can you tell us a little bit about what it was like in Kolhapur when you were growing up? You know, the world of luxury, refinement, sophistication was a million miles away from where I grew up. I grew up in a small town. I mean, the first proper school for girls that came up, you know, I grew from seventh. The school grew to eighth standard. We did eighth and grew to ninth. So we literally are called the first batch. So, so your school had never had those grades. You were no, the first ones. we were the first ones to get to that. And was that because it was a, a, a school for girls? A school for girls. It was a school for girls. Wow. And I grew up always hearing, because gender norms were so, you know, strong, you would always hear, girls can't do this, girls can't do this, girls can't do this. And after a point, I had to stop listening. I mean, I remember my mother saying, oh my God, you're so ambitious, who's going to marry you? Like, this is <laughs> such a problem. <laughs> And, you know, one of the most sort of comments I would get is, you're so talented, you should have been a boy, you know? You would have all the opportunities in the world. So, to me, if you had told me that I would have the opportunity to do what I'm doing today, Imran, I would have thought you're smoking something or, you know, something seriously wrong. It's not possible. It was a lot of determination, resilience. I knew I wanted to do something. I wanted to have a voice in the world, but didn't know exactly what it meant. Did you have a, a dream job? Not really. It was a step-by-step. I want to do engineering because mostly everybody tells me girls can't do engineering and I'm good at maths and science. So it was more like that. It was, a lot of it was sometimes determination, sometimes resilience, sometimes anger, frustration. So I did engineering, electronics and telecommunications, enjoyed it, did management studies and joined Unilever 
as a management trainee. 30 years. Wow. 30 years, absolutely loved, learned all aspects of business, worked in factories, worked in supply chain, worked in sales, worked in marketing. I mean, I have so many stories of what it's meant to be the first everywhere because, you know, the first woman in a night shift, the first woman who was in sales, doing sales in Haryana in India. One of the first international expatriates from India to come into London for Unilever and so on and so forth. So I've known what it is to be underestimated hugely. I've known what it is to be an outsider. I've known what it is to be told I'm not good enough because I don't meet some invisible standard or benchmark. And I think it's been really, you know, a lot of support because I absolutely believe in mentors, networks, support. It's been a sense of a learner mindset saying, yeah, I don't know it, but I'm going to figure it out. And having enormous curiosity and humility, always feeling like I'm a learner. Day one, I want to put a big L here. I'm a learner. Every day there's something new to learn. I'm going to learn the hell out of everything. So it was that what kept me going. And in the stint in Unilever, you know, I had the opportunity to learn all aspects of the business, learn how to make money, all the growth drivers, profitability drivers, how to galvanize and inspire teams. So it was a really good grounding in all that for me. In those more than two decades, mm-hmm that you were at Unilever. Three. Three decades. Yeah, you don't want to know my age. Uh, three decades. <laughs> I mean, you and I know what it can be like to work in India. As a woman, going up the ranks in a very, very conservative, gender-biased business environment, yeah. how did you navigate that? Tell us some stories of the things that you had to do you know, even with the most drive and determination, no one gets to where you got without a bit of grit, perseverance, craftiness. Like, what did you have to do? You know, there's so many stories, Imran. I think there is a Bollywood movie in somewhere. <laughs> or maybe, you know, we... Yes, we have... A, there's a movie in there, you know. I'm not telling all my stories. I'm keeping some for you, you know. So, <laughs> but, you know... It's like a daily story. We talked about the safety and security that Skyler spoke about, and I've worked in really remote places. I've, like, rode trucks with Lipton tea in the back going and delivering sales. One of the factories in the south that I was working in, I was the only woman in the entire industrial estate. So every morning as the buses came in with the workers, there would be a pause at the gates of our factory so everybody could look out, peep at me, and then go through, because I was such an alien. So every day would be a story like this. So it's taken a lot of strength and self-belief. It's taken a lot of saying, what do I stand for? What am I doing what I'm doing? And that's why I'm so passionate about purpose. Always start with the why in mind. Why am I doing this? That's given me strength. My husband's been a huge support. We had an arranged marriage. Thankfully, dad chose well. So it's all good. You know, going to be 30 years we've been married. So it's really determination, resilience, having constant thirst to learn. I even ran a podcast, Learn With Lena. I don't think that many people learned with me, but I tried very hard to demonstrate that no matter how senior you get in a company, you can learn. You can learn new things. You can unlearn. You can rewire yourself. Also, you know, I've really, really believed in empathy, in kindness, in compassion. Those are not words used in business. I mean, when was the last business leader who was praised for being empathetic or kind or benevolent. I really, really believe in that. I think it's so important to be just kind to each other. I mean, we are human beings for a reason because we have humanity. So for me, that's been very important. Every voice matters. You know, I know the names and faces of 
everybody in my business. People tell me that 30,000 people, it's no problem. I will know it. I will know their stories. I will know where they come from because it matters to me. It matters to me what happens to them. When I'm in a meeting, I listen to every voice because somebody will present, some are shyer, but every voice matters. So it's been a very strong people orientation, a sense of believing in the collective. I really feel the days of the superhero leader who has all the answers is way behind us. I mean, listen to the complexity of the world around us today afternoon. How can one individual have the answers? Yeah. So collective problem solving, collective creation, collective ideation, collective getting together is really important to me. So it's been a lot of those things that have helped me along the way. But very, very important for me, Imran, is lift as you climb. It's so important because I feel the privilege, I feel the responsibility of making it easier for those who come after me. If I've felt unsafe in a place, I've gone and battled to change the hotel location in that place or make it safer for the women who come after me. In everything I've done, I have tried to question norms, be a role model, share my stories openly, and do whatever I can to champion and sponsor and make it a more equal world. So lifting as I climb, others who feel like me, outsiders, minority, all the first women of color, brown. I didn't know I was brown till, you know, <laughs> sort of I started coming to England, you know. It's uh, Indian, first Indian, first Asian, first this, first, you know, all of that is enormous privilege, but it has enormous responsibility. And I never, ever want to forget that. Okay. so. One other thing that makes you unique, for a CEO, I mean, is that you've come through the HR path. Yeah. And I'm curious, was that an explicit decision? And if I was gonna make a generalization, yeah. it's often women that play the HR roles. Was that because it was the path of least resistance for you? Or did you explicitly choose that path because it was aligned with the way you wanted to lead? Like, how, how did that happen? You know, for me, it's always been important. I mean, in the way I lead, putting people at the center of everything I do, because I really believe if you look after people, their growth and development, their dreams and aspirations, they will look after the business. They will help you with ideas and really care about the institution they're part of. So it was very early in my career, I started discovering the passion for that. I mean, it doesn't matter, you're running production, you still are you're galvanizing and inspiring people. You're doing leadership roles. It is about galvanizing and inspiring people. So I started gravitating more and more towards that. To be honest, I genuinely believe that for me, it was never about the power or anything about being CEO. It was about because I believe business needs to have a voice in the world. CEOs have influence. We can make change happen. Okay. So I'm curious to hear about the fateful day when you're ensconced in your really, really important role at Unilever. As I said in my intro, yeah. responsible for the well-being of 150,000 employees. And you get a call from Chanel. <laughs> I mean, tell me what was going through your mind. What, how did that happen? What did they say to you? What was your initial reaction? Gobsmacked, you know, and <laughs> I hadn't seen it coming. And to be honest, I was in tears because I loved Unilever so much. And I was like, no, I'm not going to leave Unilever. This isn't, isn't going to happen. And you know, my husband at one stage said, honey, you're not getting a divorce. You're just leaving and joining another company. Like, seriously, you need to get a handle on yourself. Because I'd given 30 years of my life, I'd learned so much, grown so much. But Chanel is a beautiful brand. I mean, who doesn't love Chanel? <laughs> oh my God. 
you know? And what's not to love about fashion and fragrance and beauty and makeup and watches and jewelry? Now you know how it goes. And joining Chanel and, you know, the last year, traveling all over the world. I mean, it's been almost two years, so it's gone quick. And the first year, I really traveled everywhere. I went to all of our manufacturing locations, went to see our production, creations, wait, 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 wait. Before we get into that, <laughs> the, beyond the like glamour and gloss, and like all of us work in this industry, we know that behind all that glamour and gloss is like... <laughs> a lot of hard work. It's a lot, lot of, passion, of work. dedication. So I want to hear lot of about your listening tour in a minute. But first, I want to understand this pivotal decision. He doesn't give up, does he? No. I thought he'd be tired by now. Gosh. This pivotal decision to join, like, what was it that sold you? Like, why did you, what did they say to you or what did you learn about Chanel that made you say, yes, I was a Unilever lifer and now I'm going to move to Chanel? Because I saw the influence and impact that fashion has in the world. I saw the work we do with philanthropy. Not many people know this, but Chanel is one of the world's largest philanthropic organizations working for women and girls with a 100 million commitment every year. We work with 237 organizations in 58 countries. Knowing that made a huge difference. The way we were thinking about sustainability, and I'll talk in a minute how that's something I passionately want to take forward and give it more wings. It was the opportunity to be exemplary as our brand. Our brand is highly integrous. It's so high on integrity. It's loved by everyone and the opportunity to lead this brand and bring that exemplary nature and be able to inspire the rest of the luxury sector, and I don't say this lightly, to be exemplary at some of the things that have a positive impact in the world and to be inspiring for the luxury sector and be transformational was something that drew me. So at the time when your appointment was announced, I started getting calls from people Media organizations started contacting me and saying... I hope you were a good boy and said well, good things. Well, they it. said, well, why do you think they picked Lena? Yeah. And, you know, I'd only met you that one time in Davos for like one minute, so I could only hypothesize. But why do you think they picked you? You know, that's really for the board to answer, you know. Eight, well, no man does. Because no matter what I say, it's either going to sound extremely arrogant or it's going to sound like, oh, my God, you know, so... Not an easy one. It's for the board to answer. But, you know, I do think I'm constantly told about what I don't have when I come to luxury. Oh, you're the ultimate outsider and you don't know this and you don't know that. But to be honest, I know global sales, scale, size, globality. I know how to manage 150,000 people, you know. So I have worked in all aspects of business. The principles of running a business, the principles of bringing home the bacon, the principles of being a leader who can and gender followership are transferable across industries. Okay. But that's for the board to answer. Okay. You should ask them I, I, when you meet I, them. <laughs> I will press you on that. I have my own theories. <laughs> you know, just now, you said when you were mm. going into that manufacturing plant in South India somewhere, all the men were kind of peeping in and you, were, you felt like a little bit of like an alien. Yeah. One of the times when you and I sat down, I said, well, you're kind of like an alien. <laughs> in the fashion industry, Indian by nationality, a woman CEO, a person of color from the consumer packaged goods background and with a background in HR. So I'm curious with your alien perspective, when you came into our planet, the universe, the fashion universe, what did you honestly think about this industry? Like, <laughs> like what, what, what were your reactions? Because 
it can be kind of crazy. This industry. <laughs> you know,、uh, this is the moment people say, "Oh my God, how can someone from HR be CEO? How can someone from FMCG be like that?" It's exactly the kind of conversation that gets some gene inside of me saying, "What the hell? I'm going to show you." I must honestly say that you know. So there's a little bit of bring it on sense that's there in me always. Like really, we can't do it. Say zoo. I'm going to break the rule book. Tell me where's the rule book. I'm going to break it. But I must say it's been a fascinating journey. It's been absolutely fascinating, and I knew so little. I must humbly say that it's a learning journey. What was、day. the biggest surprise for you about you this know, industry? Firstly, the fact that human creators. Human creation, craftsmanship, self-affair is so important. This is all made by hand. It takes 200 hours of beautiful work. It's just amazing to see. I mean, Bruno Paoloschi, our president of fashion, and I had the opportunity to receive Our Majesties this year, King Charles III and Queen Camilla and Bridget Macron to 19M. Ladisne FM is a place where we've housed 600 artisans with incredible skills, representing 10 maison d'art, things like. Pleats. How do you pleat? Milner work, feather work, embroidery work. It is just mind-boggling to think how you set diamonds on a watch. It's done by hand. The ultimate craftsmanship. I mean, I didn't know it took 200 stages to create a bag, and it takes five years of working with a dummy bag before you can actually work on a proper bag. So this human creation, human creativity, human skills, human fingers—that was huge. The other thing was, we are a mega industry. Mega brands, mega scale, mega boutiques. We have resources. We have the responsibility to make an impact on some of the challenges that we heard today. We absolutely do, and that was good for me to say that we have the resources, we have the long-term thinking, and we have the responsibility. And that's the responsible leadership point. What do you think is the biggest misconception, like for an outsider coming into this industry? What do you think people on the outside don't understand about fashion? That there's so much painstaking attention to detail. That there's so many passionate, dedicated people. Because I came from FMCG, it's industrialized. Everything is industrialized. It's mass. It's physical availability and mental availability everywhere. Here, it's precious. It's scarce.、Yeah. You don't make. I want you to yearn for it some more.、Yeah. We don't make enough.、Yeah. So I want you to yearn for it some more. So it's the preciousness. The handwork, the qualitative stuff that goes in making things that last for generations. I want you to use stuff that you have for generations, restore it, have memories associated with it. The fact that the client and people relationship, the client and the boutique assistant relationship, is so central. It's a human relationship that actually drives this trillion-dollar industry. That relationship is so central. Yeah. That's why when I hear about AI, I feel so strongly that we have to preserve this human creation, human creativity, this work with hands, this craftsmanship, this savoir-faire, this relationship. We can't miss out on it. And the vitality of the sector, the prospects for the sector are bright. How many sectors can say that? You know, the young are engaging. By 2030, 100 million more consumers will be talking to luxury, engaging with luxury. But 30% of luxury consumers will be Gen Z and Gen Alpha. I mean. That kind of vitality, not many sectors have, and they're bringing such a strong attitude of buy less but better, financial investment, make less but you know use it for longer. Absolutely, the right attitude、yeah. as they engage with this category. And the other thing that struck me coming to luxury and 
we're such an emotional powerhouse. We're such a cultural powerhouse. I passionately believe there's a place in the world for beauty, meaning. A thing of beauty uplifts us. You mm-hmm. go for a walk in nature. You, you see something beautiful. You see a gorgeous painting. You feel an upliftment. You know, luxury has existed for 3,000 years. Everybody wanted to look good, differentiate themselves. People made jewelry when they didn't have the tools and wore it. They made makeup out of unbelievable things in nature. So it is something that's so true to being human. So to me, the cultural powerhouse we are, the emotional powerhouse we are, is not to be underestimated. And that was big for me to see. Okay, now we'll get to some of my hypotheses. (laughs) So prior to your arrival, while I'd say Chanel, as you've alluded to, is almost unparalleled in the luxury space in terms of its heritage and storytelling. And we saw that at the Victoria and Albert Museum. We can see that behind us. Chanel also has a reputation for being a bit old-fashioned, a bit elitist, and a bit slow-moving when it comes to digital innovation. So when you think about your role, and one of the things that has come to mind for me is like, how do you modernize the corporate culture and the way Chanel exists in the world. For example, I didn't know that Chanel is one of the largest philanthropic organizations in the world and invests 100 million in all of those charities you mentioned. Chanel doesn't talk, it's very secretive. The owners are secretive, the whole brand feels secretive. Is that part of the role to just open this up? Ask this man when I'm sitting here talking to him. Yeah. (laughs) How secretive are you? No. You know, like I said, I have absolutely fallen in love with Chanel because I discovered so many things. It's a gem that I have absolutely fallen in love with. The company, our people, our 35,000 people are so passionate, so dedicated. We are so long-term in our thinking. So our independence gives us that long-term thinking. So for example, we genuinely believe that if you focus on the brand, look after clients, look after people, think long-term, you will have the financial results. And this is not just in talk. This is how we evaluate and pay people. So this long-term thinking is an absolute distinctive feature of Chanel. But let me tell you how I'm thinking about the future with Chanel, because that'll give you a little bit of where I'd like Chanel to go. I would love for Chanel to be a beacon of inspiration for the next 100 years. And I don't say this lightly, because you know, I hope you've had a chance to see the v exhibition. I would encourage you to see the Blockbuster show. It's an incredible retrospective to bring alive the story of a woman, Gabrielle Chanel, who 100 years ago, remember this is when women didn't have the vote. Women had no signs of equality. They couldn't participate in Olympics. It was at a time, through the clothes she made, transformed the way women saw themselves. It was about giving women freedom of movement, trousers, no corsets, but importantly, supporting women to be and become whoever they wanted to become. So I'd like us today in Chanel to do things that a hundred years later, people will look back and say, thanks to the people at Chanel, because they continue to inspire us a hundred years on. But that's easy to say, a hundred years beacon of inspiration, it sounds lofty. So what's it's behind it? What are the things that we can do. And for me, it distills into three things. And you better listen, Imran, because I'm going to quiz you I'm after listening. this. I'm listening. <laughs> to see whether you're really listening. Yeah. Three things that I really see. One is to have a positive impact in the world. 
Yeah, and I'll talk a little bit about it. The second is in the world of AI to be relentless in protecting human creation, human creators, human relationships. And third, to be always part of what's next, to shape what's coming, to be out there shaping what's next. This is that innovation piece. And I'll tell you a little bit more about those. So positive impact in the world to me is about sustainability and philanthropy. We have to be exemplary in these areas. So sustainability, I would like Chanel, and our team absolutely buys into it, would like us to be exemplary in how we role model environment and social sustainability in the world. And that's really ambition with the customary Chanel integrity that we want to do. I would definitely see things like, you know, restoring to nature, investing in circularity, taking care of everybody in our ecosystem. We work with so many suppliers and partners who've been with us for years, for generations, for decades, make sure we're taking care of all of them, promoting the autonomy of women. Those are the kind of things I'd like us to be exemplary at. And foundation continue to strengthen the work, the work that we are doing, make it visible, get more coalition of the willing to amplify the work we are doing. Human creators, human uh, creation, to continue to do things. I mean, we have partnered with the Princess Foundation to train people on craftsmanship skills. We have committed to training 1,200 people every year for the next three years in these beautiful, valuable skills. We're continuing to invest in human relations. Like I said, the client and the care is really, really important. And what I was struck in Chanel is the respect and care. I fit right in because the care and respect people have for each other is huge. So this benevolence, this kindness that I'm speaking of is really embodied in the company. So it is easier for me to fit in because I saw that in the culture and it's easier for me to feel comfortable and not feel like an outsider. So focusing on these human relations is important. And to be always part of what's next. I mean, we believe, like our founder did, because she always talked about learning French. You know, so it's about being part of what's coming. And, you know, we believe artists in the world know where the world is going. They can smell it. And we work with artists across films, music, dance, theater, cinema, name it, game design, because... We want to support emerging artists, put the focus on arts and culture in a very, very big way. And that's part of continuing to stay in the cultural ecosystem, shape it, learn from it at all times. We're also investing in innovation in a big way. I mean, we just had our top 300 leaders last week where we went through an innovation festival and went through all of the space exploration fabric that could live, breathe. So we have invested in about 30 startups, partnering with academic institutions, thought leaders. So it's really about questioning ourselves to be part of what's next. So if we keep, you know, this positive impact in the world, that intent, if we leave our founder's DNA of always being part of what's next, and if we continue to take care of human creation, creators and human relationships, all the humanity that we saw in the afternoon that inspires us, then we will be a beacon of inspiration for the next hundred years. So that's really what I want to put my focus and energy on. I wanted to close with some advice and to break it down into two parts. Do I send an invoice for this? Advice is yes. free. <laughs> yeah. The first is, you know, one of the reasons it was yeah. appropriate to have you in this session is because you're a global leader. You're a leader that's had to lead in the context of all of the things that we discussed here today and the many more that I couldn't fit into a two-hour yeah. content session. What advice do you have for leaders who want to lead in a global context like this, where 
you don't know what's going to happen the next day. Yeah. Uncertainty is everywhere. There's polarization. There's technological disruption. There's human rights issues. There's war. Like, how as a leader can you equip yourself with the ability to lead in such a complex world? You know, I was listening to today, and everything is on agenda of every CEO. AI, you bet. Geopolitics, the issues we're seeing across the world, absolutely. The conversations we're having about inclusion, belonging, absolutely, on everybody's desk. So I think to me, the most important thing is to lead with an enormous sense of curiosity and humility. To really, really listen, to listen to diverse voices, to listen to different perspectives, however uncomfortable that might feel. To know that this is a time to lead with vulnerability, to lead saying, hey, the problem is complex, I don't know all the answers, but I'm determined as all of us are to find the right answers, to find our way of solving for these problems. So a sense of curiosity, a sense of humility, enormous openness, enormous looking outside, you know, looking at the challenges and opportunities. There's so much in the world. I feel like, why do we spend so much time fighting with each other in the world when we have so many big problems to solve for and so many big opportunities to go for? So it's really bringing that spirit of outside in, thinking ahead of the curve, making sure we are open, curious, humble, and retaining your humanity and humility. It was a journey for me also to be more vulnerable. I, I remember a couple of times, it was COVID, and uh, we were doing these town halls every week with all the people, and I was just going to step up on stage for the town hall, and I got a call that my mother was hospitalized for COVID in India. And there was no way I could, you know, stand on stage without breaking down. And when I lost my mother to COVID, but at that time, I stood on stage and I said, I have no answers for you today because I'm in no position to talk. You know, my mother has meant everything to me and she's uh, battling. And I realized that people understand your humanity. They understand that your vulnerability is what connects you to them. They go through the same struggles. So to me, in this world, being an authentic leader, who's prepared to be vulnerable, who's prepared to say, I know this, I don't know this, we're gonna do this together. And to bring enormous humility and humanity in everything we do is hugely, hugely important. Thank you for sharing that story. <laughs> is it okay if I ask you one more piece of advice? <laughs> The other advice I want to ask is, you know, on behalf of young women. You are, as I said earlier, a real inspiration. And I went back to read some of the comments that people posted. I think that post got 60,000 likes. An average BOF post gets like 10,000 likes, you know, 5,000 likes. And I just read some of the I comments. I really think that invoice piece is serious. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing some real work for Imran here. Uh, what, what advice do you have for young girls who want to have an impact on the world? You know, it's such an important question because, you know, before I give advice, I really want to make us alive about the context. We've come a long, long way, but we're still so many years away from any kind of gender balance in the world. I mean, we need more 
female leaders in business. We need more female leaders in climate negotiation. It's a tiny percentage, climate leadership. We need more female leaders everywhere in politics. So I really, really want to see more female leaders, more women leaders rise up to be able to shape our system, break our world, change it. But I know it's hard because it's constant messages of somehow you're not a leader enough. I mean, it might be blatant in some of the cultures and lands we've grown up in, but it's blatant. I mean, I've walked through so many corridors of power in businesses. It's like photos of male CEOs for the last 300 years or some such thing. Like always these insidious messages that somehow leadership is for men. You know, you go into a toy store, you still don't find it's dolls in the female section, even today, 21st century. So the daily signals that women really are not meant to lead is so insidious and so much into the fabric of our society. And that's the context I want to give in mind while giving any form of advice. And my advice to women is be unafraid to try and express your ambition and what you want to do. You know, I've met so many senior men and women in my role in HR and now as CEO, and I'm generalizing a lot here, so men, please forgive me. But by and large, most of the talented men who speak to me speak about how they're so ready for the CEO role and, you know, they really need to be getting it very soon because can I not see how great they are? Like, they're almost there. And the women can barely bring it to themselves to say more than, I really want to do well in my current job, you know, and then we'll see what's next, etc. And I really want to encourage you to be intentional, to say, I want this. Because if you can't express ambition in those words to yourself, to your CEO, to your mentor, to someone who supports you, how can it ever be translated into reality? So I really want to encourage you to be unafraid. But I don't want you to think I'm asking you, oh, here's another CEO telling us to dream big and be ambitious. It's easy for her. But I'm telling you because I know this. I have lived this. I know how hard it is to make a point when you're a only woman in the group day after day, year after year, in a factory, in a boardroom, in a sales room, in a marketing meeting. I know the feeling. So truly, truly, truly find people who can support you to be able for you to be unafraid to say what you feel like, to say that I want this and I'm prepared to be determined to learn to get there. And so what if you fail? People have to shoot for the stars for us to reach anywhere, maybe the moon. But you know, really, really put yourself out there, be unafraid and ask. And make sure you're supported by a network of people who can help you do that, who can help you practice that, who can give you courage, who can say it's okay, one bad boss didn't listen, you'll find someone else. You know, so my advice is just be there. And I really tell the women in the audience, you know, reach out to other women, other men, anybody in your network of such like, this is fantastic. You're going to make a whole lot of friends, a whole lot of people who can support you. It takes a village to grow a child. It takes a village to build a career. I don't know how many men and women have supported me for me to be reaching where I am. So please, please, please be unafraid. State your kick-ass ambition. Have no fears. Amazing. You know, go for it. I'm going to give you a break now. I am so grateful. This meant a lot to me personally. 
I reached out to Lena's team about this interview shortly after she was appointed, which is almost two years ago. But it was worth the wait. Thank you very much. Thank you. The BOF podcast is edited and produced by Emma Clark and Eric Bria in the BOF studio team. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? For me, I got a chef grade range recently and now I'm cooking new things every single night. Seriously, no cuisine is off limits. The point is, when we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. I can picture myself with a car full of groceries, cruising down the highway, soaking up the sun with the available dynamic sky panorama glass roof. Ah, pure bliss. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX. Luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2024. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.